2: Hey, guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Friday as we end another week of survival in Joe Biden's America. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. On social media, I am at Monica Crowley underscore on Instagram and Twitter and true social. I am at Monica Crowley. Also the email address for this show. Let me know what's on your mind. That address is Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Okay, today, given the fact that Tony, I am the science, Fauci, Uh, is going to take a powder come December. I want to do a deep dive into his outrageous corruption and lies. And we're going to be joined here just in a couple of minutes by the intrepid investigative reporter, Natalie Winters of The National Pulse, who has really spent the last year and a half combing through his corruption and all of his lies and conflicts. She is going to be here with all of that. A very, very important conversation coming up, not to be missed, plus your emails. But first, we were waiting today with bated breath for the DOJ to release their affidavit, which is the basis for the search warrant for the Trump raid, which was executed about two weeks ago by the FBI at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida. So obviously this is an unprecedented situation going after a former president of the United States who was Joe Biden's last political opponent and could very well be his future opponent. This is what happens in banana republics. We have heard that a million times, but I make the argument that actually this is worse. Than anything that goes on in a banana republic because in a banana republic they might like they might put up some fake constitution and a fake fake legal guidelines about what's right and wrong and what to do but they have no intention of ever carrying that through nor any history of carrying that through. Here in the United States, we have a long history of the rule of law. We've got a long history of the U.S. Constitution being the supreme law of the land. We have a long history of not doing this to our previous presidents because you don't want to set a very dangerous precedent for future leaders. So people on both sides of the aisle, no matter what their hatred was, no matter what the case might be. We have had this tradition in this country of backing off from former presidents. We saw it with President Nixon, who got a full and complete pardon from his successor, President Gerald Ford, who lost his presidential election as a result of it, uh, but felt that it was the right thing to do. We saw it with President Nixon in 1960 on election night, being presented with concrete evidence of election fraud. Uh, With the Kennedys stealing that election out from under him, he did not order a recount. But the Democrats have no problem doing this. Al Gore in the year 2000 and Bush v. Gore uh, screaming holy hell about his lost election, ordering recounts. And to some extent, I kind of understand that because it all came down to 537 votes in the state of Florida. But there is a precedent that once you have a result, you move on, and you do not target your political opponents, particularly former presidents, in this kind of way. You do not put them in the criminal crosshairs. But Donald Trump, of course, is a separate case because he is an existential threat to all of them and therefore must be destroyed at any costs. So this latest attack on Donald Trump to try to stop him is this raid, and today we finally got the affidavit was released along with two other supporting documents. The judge in this case, uh, Bruce Reinhart, who is the Epstein lawyer, now a magistrate, Okay, so they went judge shopping, they found this guy who had just recused himself from a a Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton case a couple of weeks before this, because he said he couldn't be fair because he hates Donald Trump so much. So the DOJ went judge shopping, they found this character, and he said about a week ago, he said, look, uh, the public does have a right to know something about the underlying reasons for this raid, given that it is so unprecedented. So he asked DOJ to present to him a redacted version, and we finally got it today. Swiss cheese has more substance to it. These documents are an absolute joke. It's just completely blacked out. I mean, Swiss cheese, that's kind of a compliment to Swiss cheese. When you look at these documents, it's just... There's nothing there. Um, In one of the supporting documents, though, we do see that national security is not, I repeat, not cited among the reasons for these redactions. So, so much for Trump having nuclear secrets under his bed. Remember that when they leaked to the Washington Post? Oh, Donald Trump's got nuclear weapons uh, in his closet next to Melania's hats. You got that story. All they do is this giant hit and run. That's everything that they, it's everything that they've done against Donald Trump since June of 2015. It's a giant hit and run operation. They hit him with something completely outrageous. It sounds really bad. We saw this repeatedly through the Russia hoax. They go to the same exact corrupt reporters at the New York Times and the Washington Post and elsewhere to plant the smear. And then the smear goes around the world. I I think uh, it was Mark Twain, I think I said this the other day, who said, a lie goes halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to put its pants on. Well, now in the world of social media, that's triply true. You put something out on Twitter uh, through the New York Times Twitter account and boom, it's everywhere. And this is what they do. This is uh, yet another hit and run operation. So they did this while Donald Trump's been sitting on the nuclear codes. No mention of the fact that Bill Clinton was too busy banging the interns uh, to locate the nuclear codes and lost them. Bill Clinton lost the nuclear codes because his pants were around his ankles So again, yet another example of a smear of Donald Trump national security not cited among the reasons for all of these redactions. So Donald Trump did not make off with the codes, even though Bill Clinton actually did. Now you take a look at these documents, just be aware there is literally nothing here. You you learn like nothing. The DOJ and the FBI are so corrupt, you guys, that they are redacting their reasons for the redactions. (laughs) They've gone so far as to redact their reasons for the redactions in their justification for raiding a former U.S. president's home. No matter how much contempt you have for these out-of-control lawless agencies, it's not nearly enough, okay? This is just the latest chapter in all of this. Ever since that raid on President Trump at Mar-a-Lago about two weeks ago, Joe Biden has stayed quiet and his White House has claimed they knew nothing about this ahead of time. If you believe that, I've got a bridge for you. Just the other day, Joe Biden was asked by Peter Doocy and he goes, oh, I didn't know zip, zero, nada, and walks away. Well, it, it may actually be true that they did not share this with Joe Biden because he is senile and may have blurted it out. So that may be true. But the rest of the people in this Biden White House, the people actually running the country, Ron Klain, Susan Rice, they all knew. Of course they did. And they have repeatedly lied about it. And now we've got evidentiary proof that they not only lied about it, but they, they encouraged this raid and a criminal investigation into Donald Trump. Earlier this week, John Solomon reported, quote, long before it professed no prior knowledge of the raid on Donald Trump's estate, the Biden White House worked directly with the Justice Department and National Archives to instigate the criminal probe into alleged mishandling of documents, allowing the FBI to review evidence retrieved from Mar-a-Lago this spring and eliminating Trump's claims to executive privilege. This according to contemporaneous documents reviewed by Just the News. Alan Dershowitz, one of our famed constitutional uh, experts, lawyers, he's up at Harvard Law. He said that he took a look at some of these documents and he said that the Biden White House's eagerness to waive Trump's claims of executive privilege could have future implications for generations of presidents to come. Quote, I was very surprised. The current president should not be able to waive the executive privilege of a predecessor without the consent of the former president. Otherwise, executive privilege means nothing. What president will ever discuss anything in private if he knows the man who beat him can and will disclose it? Exactly. What all of this means is that the National Archives had the blessing of Biden and his entire corrupt crew to overrule Trump's privilege claims and share all of these materials requested by the corrupt DOJ and FBI. So contrary to Biden's team's lies, and Biden himself, his lie this week that he knew nothing about this, they were hip deep in all of this. Of course they were. The depth of corruption here, guys, is, is unfathomable, using the FBI as their own secret police, their muscle, their Tony Soprano against their political enemies, and doing so openly without a care in the world because they can Because they have the protection of the press. And not just the protection of the press, but the advocacy of the press. The press is standing there ready, willing, and able to take whatever hit-and-run attack that they want to pass on and have amplified. They hand it off to these same reporters who blow it up on social media, splash it across the front pages. It goes around the world, and it is not true. And you don't even get a -a whoopsie-daisy. Never mind an apology. You never get a retraction. Nothing. They get away with this without a care in the world because they can. And all of this, of course, is leading to an indictment of Donald Trump. To all of these people who say there is no way that they're going to indict Donald Trump, they wouldn't dare because that would really rip the country apart. So they're not going to do it. Ripping the country apart is in their job description. This is what they do. This is is a necessary condition to affect the great reset here at home. Ripping the country apart is what they do. To what end? Again, silencing and intimidating their critics, stopping their political adversaries, making an example out of us, sending a shot across the bow to... Donald Trump and to others thinking about putting up a fight against them, the shot across the bow and the message is don't even think about it because we will destroy you too. That means all of us. Trump is a stand-in for all of us. We had more evidence yesterday of the depth of this corruption because we got a shocking admission from Mark Zuckerberg yesterday. He went on Joe Rogan. Now recall that Zuckerberg poured $400 million into rigging the 2020 election for Joe Biden, a scheme that was exposed by our friend Molly Hemingway in her book, Rigged. We had her on this show to walk us through exactly what he did. Well, at the same time, he now says that the FBI handed him a request to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story and, of course, everything that that pointed to, which is the Biden family corruption. Mark Zuckerberg went on Joe Rogan yesterday, and he made this admission. Listen.
0: How do you guys handle things when they're a a big news item that's controversial? Like, there was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election, because of the Hunter Biden laptop story, the New York Post. Yeah, we had that too. Yeah, so you guys censored that as well. So we took a different path than Twitter. Um, I mean, basically, the background here is the FBI. I think basically came to us. Uh, some some folks on our team. and was like, hey, um, just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was the we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically. There's about to be some kind of dump of, of um, uh, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. So our protocol is different from Twitter's. What Twitter did is they said, you can't share this at all. Um, we didn't do that. What, what we do is we have, um, if something is reported to us as potentially um, misinformation, important misinformation, we, we also have this third-party fact-checking program because we don't want to be deciding what's true and false. And for the... I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being um, being determined whether it was false. Um, the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it; you could still consume it. So when um, you say the distribution has decreased. In, it it like, got shared. It, how does that work? It basically the ranking in newsfeed was a little bit less, so fewer people saw it than would have otherwise. So it definitely by what percentage. I don't know off the top of my head, but it's, it's, it's meaningful, but I mean, but basically a, um, a lot of people were still able to share it. We got a lot of complaints that that was the case. Um, you know, obviously this is a hyper political issue. So depending on what side of the political spectrum, you either think we didn't censor it enough or censored it way too much, but, but we weren't sort of as black and white about it as, as Twitter. We just kind of thought, Hey, look, if, if the FBI, which, you know, I still view is a legitimate institution in this country. It's a very professional law enforcement. They come to us and tell us that we need to be on guard about something that I want to take that seriously. Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story? I I, no. I, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it was it basically fit the pattern.
2: So the FBI rigged the 2020 election. The FBI. We've been talking to Dinesh D'Souza about the vote trafficking. We talked to Hemingway about uh, Zuckerberg pouring all of this money into swing states and swing districts to throw the election. But this is the first we're hearing that the FBI engaged in direct overt election interference. They were all lying, saying that it was Russian disinformation on the laptop, don't believe it, foreign interference, when they all knew it was true. The FBI had the Hunter Biden laptop for months, and of course, they scoured it. They knew exactly what was on it. They knew it was all true. They knew the depths of the Biden family corruption. They knew it. And they went out and had their lackeys in the press amplify all the lies that it was Russian disinformation, external interference in our elections when they knew that wasn't true. They knew it wasn't Russian disinformation. The election interference came from inside the House. Zuckerberg's remarks about the FBI and Facebook This is a smoking gun piece of evidence about what we've all suspected all along. The regime outsources censorship using social media platforms to quiet us, to silence speech that threatens those in power. It's all cyclical. The weaponized FBI is working hand in glove with big tech and the propaganda press to throw elections. This is why when you vote and vote and vote and nothing changes, now you know why. We have evidentiary proof right there. The FBI and the DOJ are irredeemably corrupt, and they've got to be raised to the ground. And any Republican candidate for president has got to be running on this, and if they don't, do not take them seriously, period, the end. All right, when we come back, we're going to switch gears and turn to another load of corruption led by another corrupt evil garden gnome, Tony, I am the science, Fauci. We're going to do a deep dive into his corruption over the last couple of years because even though we've got so much coming at us here, we cannot lose sight of what they And Fauci and Walensky and the entire public health regime working hand in glove with the rest of the the corrupt maniacs running this country into the ground, what they put us through. Not just so that it never happens again, but that we can stand up a COVID accountability project and put all of these people in prison. So sit tight for that. I'm Monica Crowley, back in a flash. Okay, a lot of very important issues to discuss with my fantastic guest today, my good friend and an unparalleled investigative reporter with the superb news-breaking National Pulse. Their website is thenationalpulse.com. Their editor-in-chief is the great Raheem Kassam, and he is so lucky to have this extraordinary investigative reporter as his chief and lead investigative reporter. Her name is Natalie Winters. You've seen her on Steve Bannon's War Room and other places, and she's just so intrepid. She's doing all of the heavy lifting and all of the uh, deep reporting that the propaganda press should be doing and just isn't. So she's doing it pretty much single-handedly, and she joins me now.
1: Hi, Natalie. Hi, thank you so much for having me back. Oh, it's so
2: good to have you back, Natalie. Thank you for being here. And uh, today I wanted to have you here for an extended interview because given Dr. Anthony, I am the science, Fauci's uh, resignation announcement, I want to focus on him with you today because you've done and continue to do investigative deep dives into Fauci, his collaborative work with the CCP and his decades-long corruption and lies to the American people. So as I mentioned, he just announced this week that he's going to be stepping down in December, um, conveniently right before Republicans are expected to take control of the Congress and launch major investigations into him and unearth a lot of, at least we hope, unearth a lot of what you have already unearthed about him and about what he said and did during covid So, my first question to you is because you've basically been living with this man in your investigative reporting for a year and a half, what's your reaction to the news that he is going to depart come December?
1: Well, most interviews that I do are usually about negative or very depressing topics, right? Either about how the Chinese Communist Party is infiltrating this or Anthony Fauci sending your tax dollars to some random lab at a corner of China that we want to be nowhere near. But this is probably one of the happiest days. Of my life, at least for now, <laughs> um, given that someone who I've dedicated a lot of my investigative career into looking into um, will be resigning. Um, and again, this is someone who loves his job, loves the, you know, credentials that come with it, loves the, I would say, kind of posh and status and clout that that he has given himself from this role, right? He is the science he can't be questioned, um, probably one of the largest egos um in public health and public service today. So for him to be resigning, I think is a is a pretty massive deal. Um obviously he says, you know, my next chapter, look forward to it. I'll be doing something else. So who knows what that'll be. Maybe he'll end up on the payroll of some big pharma company or up at the the World Economic Forum or the Gates Foundation. But for now you know, Fauci's reign of terror, as I would call it at the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, um, is coming to an end. Um, and that's a really, really good day, not just for the health and well-being of the world writ large, but for our taxpayer dollars. Um, but it's a bad day for the Chinese Communist Party and researchers who like to do gain of function research and manipulate pathogens to make them deadlier and riskier to humans, which in some ways, may be responsible for the COVID-19 pandemic that we just experienced.
2: You know, I, I want to get into some of Fauci's greatest hits, uh, which you and only you uncovered in the past year or so, uh, that really exposed the depths of Fauci's corruption. But before we get into the origins of COVID, Natalie, let's get into the origins of Fauci and the CCP. When did he first get into bed with the Chinese Communist Party? And how did that happen?
1: Sure so it's actually very interesting Fauci took over NIAID that's the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and believe it or not the year 1984 um quite funny um given the kind of censorship that we've seen from from that NIH agency when it comes to the origins of COVID and just really I think big pharma and COVID-19 vaccines so it's a little little too on the nose but really since then Um, Anthony Fauci has really, I would say, opened the gates to Chinese Communist Party advances into American scientific research and scientific community. Um, But in terms of actual documents proving this, um, you can see back in the early 2000s, the NIH, specifically the deputy director of NIAID, which is the, the agency that Fauci runs, signed a memorandum of understanding with what I would call the leading chi- Chinese scientific organization that funds basically all of the country's research. It has very, very deep ties to the country's military, um, as one would expect, because for lack of a better term, there really is no Chinese wall between civilian use science, and military use science in China. So this was signed in about 2005. And later in 2010, this memorandum of understanding, which really laid the groundwork for research deals like the one we saw happening at the Wuhan Institute of Virology was actually expanded. Um, so this is like from from a, I would say a legal side in terms of what NIAID was doing with contracts, meeting with Chinese Communist Party diplomats, but the other important part of Fauci, and you see this um, more so in the researchers that he funds, it's just, I would say the culture that he created there which is that a lot of these researchers that he was sending millions of taxpayer dollars to, not only were they conducting research in the United States, um, but they were also flying over, for example, and lecturing at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. We identified over 20 researchers who'd taken millions from Anthony Fauci, who were also basically visiting professors over at Wuhan serving on a variety of boards and and leadership organizations of entities at this lab. And it's not just about the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I think people probably know that lab the most because people probably aren't too familiar with the network of Chinese Communist Party-run labs that operate across that country. But there are dozens if not hundreds of labs like the Wuhan Institute of Virology that people who've taken your taxpayer dollars to to conduct research um, have also done it in China in tandem, um, with these labs. And I think you see it, you know, the, the best way, even though it's anecdotal, to kind of demonstrate this. Um, one of the actually leading NIH departmental directors within the NIAID, um, I forget his name, but he actually starred in a very, very recent propaganda feature film. And that's not a, you know, dramatic stretch by, by any sense of the imagination, um, but a film that was produced by. Chinese state-run media outlet, CGTN, about the origins of COVID. And they interviewed him at the NIH's campus up in Maryland. And he was one of the star interviewees throughout this whole film, pushing the natural origins theory. Again, this is someone who's affiliated with Fauci, affiliated with the NIH. So I think that just speaks to the sort of culture that Anthony Fauci not just okayed and was a you know, I think he was really the progenitor of in, in the sense that he cared about doing research, didn't care about the risks, didn't care about the national security implications and the broader geopolitical ramifications of boosting China's scientific capabilities. He just wanted to do the research.
2: So speaking of the research, Natalie, we're talking specifically here about dangerous gain-of-function research, which you just laid out exactly what it is, taking pathogens and tinkering with them genetically and in other ways to make them far more contagious, far more uh, virulent, far more dangerous to the human race. That dangerous gain-of-function research was Dr. Fauci's stock in trade. And once the Obama administration banned it here on American soil, Fauci found a very willing partner abroad in the CCP and their Wuhan Institute of Virology, but also all these other labs that you've identified, so that he could continue to fund this dangerous research without being under the watchful eye of his fellow Americans. Is that correct?
1: That's exactly correct. And it's really interesting when you watch old speeches from Fauci talking about Gain-of-function research. This was a really, really, really big debate and discussion within the scientific community, which is pretty isolated. So it didn't really permeate or percolate into the mainstream discourse. But you can see in Fauci's old comments about about the situation that he had defended gain-of-function research as integral, as very important, um, and certainly was not a champion of banning the research. Right? He he was an advocate for it, and I use that word in really its fullest form and truest sense. Um, But I think what what you're talking about is the really dangerous part. And frankly, I think shows you um, just how, I mean, bizarre, I think is an understatement, but bizarre um, his calculations were when it came to research and politics and frankly, national security and the safety of the United States. Um, When it came to the fact that he deduced that, well, if gain-of-function research is too dangerous to be conducted in the United States, we need to outsource it to our mortal enemy, the Chinese Communist Party. Now, I know the American establishment likes to outsource everything to China, um, including gain of function research. But you know, th- this is how you create bioweapons. This mm-hmm. is how you create, lay the groundwork for bioterrorist attacks, right? It would be like giving China our military blueprints, our plans, our, which we frankly do, um, but, you know, it'd be intentionally doing that. Um, so I think that You know, it just shows you how the scientific community led by Anthony Fauci does not understand that, you know, biological pathogens are a weapon of war. And this, of course, comes when you see the Chinese Communist Party, you know, using these these pathogens, specifically trying to target certain ethnicities, certain races, certain groups of people, certain countries. Um, So, you know, China is no fool. Right. They have used biological pathogens, I would argue, much like COVID-19. Um, to really advance their, their global goal. And they've found no greater ally than Anthony Fauci. And I think the proof is in the pudding when it comes to the fact that Anthony Fauci is very, very close with the CDC director in China, George Gao, who was one of the leading voices downplaying that COVID-19 um, came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, he used to brag about being on private phone calls with Chinese Communist Party researchers. And he was even speaking at an Atlantic magazine kind of ideas festival and summit, and he joked that he was trying to hire Chinese Communist Party researchers. Now, I'm sure you could say, oh, you know, you're overplaying these comments, but I think that that shows you, right? It's a little slip of the tongue um, in the sense that it's showing you the culture, the internal kind of thinking of someone like Fauci, where he doesn't view the Chinese Communist Party as a threat, because I don't know about you, uh, but at the National Pulse, we would never joke about hiring anyone from the Chinese Communist Party Um, So there definitely is, I think, some some institutional rot um, at the NIH, um, specifically at the NIAID um, that needs to be removed um, quickly. You know, I would argue yesterday, um, but at least by December, um, once Anthony Fauci is is removed, resigned and hopefully not posted up at some big pharmaceutical company, you know, trying to to cook up the Mm -hmm. next public health emergency. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, which
2: we know they're probably planning right now. I mean, when we talk Natalie about um, the the sympathies that the ruling class in America across the West have for China I mean it's all over the pages of the New York Times, it's in every institution in the United States it's in the President of the United States it's in Dr. Fauci because ideologically they are largely aligned we're talking, I, I on this show I refer to them as the Democrat Communists because they are essentially Neo-Marxists and so when we talk about Fauci's official for Beijing and for the CCP. It really is an ideological one. So it's not that he was blind to what the CCP would do with these viruses. It was He was pretty okay with it. That, that's my assumption that he was all right with what the CCP might do. Let's hit a quick break, Natalie. When we come back, I want to talk about Fauci's role in COVID and in the, the handling of it and the cover-up of it, including the lab leak theory. And I'd also like to talk about Mrs. Fauci, Dr. Fauci's wife, uh, and her role in this, because you've been exposing that as well. More with Natalie Winters on the other side. Okay, before we break, I just want to take a moment to welcome a terrific new sponsor, Donors Trust. Donors Trust is the tax-friendly way to simplify your charitable giving without compromising your values. Is cancel culture coming for your charitable dollars? Big banks that sponsor charitable savings accounts or donor advised funds, as they're formally called, have a history of slow walking or just straight up blocking donations to conservative charities. Charities that have found themselves in the crosshairs of the woke mob include the Family Research Council, the National Rifle Association Foundation, Liberty Council, Turning Point USA, and so many others. So clearly, Not every donor-advised fund provider is safe for us conservatives. Let Donors Trust help manage your charitable giving. Donors Trust was built with you, my fantastic listeners in mind, people who believe limited government and constitutional rights are worth fighting for. If you already have a donor-advised fund, consider opening a rollover account. It can be done in three simple steps by calling my friends over at Donors Trust. The Donors Trust team will work with you to protect your charitable legacy and help you achieve your charitable goals. So partner with the fund that matches your values. To learn more, download their prospectus at DonorsTrust.org Monica. That's DonorsTrust.org Monica. To align your giving with your values, visit them at DonorsTrust.org Monica. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back with the great Natalie Winters. She is such an intrepid investigative reporter with the National Pulse. Please go check out their website. You should be on it every day. It's thenationalpulse.com. They are doing all of the investigative work, deep dives into all of the issues that matter, particularly with regard to the CCP, which is Natalie's great purview. And she does incredible work on the CCP, exposing their role here in the United States to undermine our country and gain world domination, which is their ultimate goal. Um, Natalie, before we get into uh, back into Fauci's role in COVID and the cover-up, do you believe that COVID-19, which was obviously engineered in the Wuhan lab, do you believe that, number one, it leaked accidentally, or do you think it leaked on purpose? And was this technically an act of war against the United States, but also the rest of the world by the CCP?
1: Well, what I would say from from my research, what I've done, I think it was an intentional release. And I think that if you kind of reverse engineer it in the sense that if you look at all the programs that this lab, a biosafety level four facility was running, in terms of looking at coronavirus strains that could directly infect humans, playing around with the virulence, lethality, mortality, really, when it comes to it. Um, I don't really think there's any other explanation for that than wanting to create a virus that could cause lockdowns, that could cause mask mandates, that could cause a complete shutdown and halt of society. Um, and I think the other way you see this is the fact that the Chinese Communist Party has been you know, so secretive um, and really launched a massive cover-up. You know, cover-up, that word gets thrown around a lot. Um, but it's such an understatement. You know, it's cover-up, all caps, bold. Uh, you know, I think it's probably the great, one of the greatest cover-ups in human history um, in terms of the origins of COVID and even deleting web pages, deleting certain programs and just information about the research they were conducting. Now, I don't necessarily think that they were trying to create a virus that would, you know, kill the entire world, that would have a mortality rate of 50% because if they wanted to, they could have. I think they needed a virus. That was just detectable enough. That was you know just lethal enough to trigger lockdowns, to trigger a complete halt of the Western economy, to trigger really, I would say, a c- complete throwaway and giveaway and giving up really um, of the Western way of life in the sense that I think Americans now more than ever, especially Democrats, may may I add. Um, have become used to the government telling us, you know, what our rights are. If we're allowed to go outside, what we have to wear on our face, what we have to put in our bodies. Um, really, in the style of the Chinese Communist Party, right? The Democratic Party, our, our rulers at be here in the U.S. have really acted like the Chinese Communist Party throughout the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, so I think that COVID nineteen was an act of war in some sense in the biological nature of it, right? Obviously releasing a deadly pathogen is, is deadly, but I think that it was more about trying to trigger a response that would destroy our economy, destroy our way of life. Um, meanwhile, the Chinese Communist Party, um, you know, had sort of is never stronger in terms of their authority, right? They still lock their people down, the people obliged. Um, so that, that's my take on it. Um, which, you know, could warrant a multi-hour discussion. Yes. But I do think it was intentionally released.
2: Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. I think it was not solely about Donald Trump, but I do think that that played a huge role in the decision to intentionally release this virus on the world. There's only been one modern American president who's taken on the CCP in an aggressive way. That was Donald Trump. And he needed to be stopped, um, and the the thriving U.S. economy under Trump needed to be stopped. So my view is it, it wasn't the only reason, but they did shut down the global economy basically to stop one man. And again, it wasn't just about him, but it, it was, I, I totally agree with you on this. Um, let's talk a little bit, Natalie, about Anthony Fauci's role in the development of COVID-19 specifically what did he fund what did he know about the development of this novel coronavirus
1: sure so there are a couple of key players when it comes to this nightmare i was going to say story but that's too euphemistic yeah <laughs> um so so like one of the key players in this is a group called ecohealth alliance which yeah. is a new york based nonprofit led by peter Doshak. you've also maybe heard that name he was also a world health organization covid-19 origins investigator despite being told repeatedly by, as you call it, the propaganda press, there were no conflicts of interest there. Uh, But Anthony Fauci sent millions of taxpayer dollars starting back in 2014 um, to EcoHealth Alliance to fund research into uh, a grant called Understanding the Risk of Bat Coronavirus Emergence. And if you look at the papers that were published under this grant, it is indisputable, irrefutable, uh, absolutely no way to contest it, that money, from Anthony Fauci and NIAID, again, this is taxpayer funds, went not just to EcoHealth Alliance, but also went to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, specifically Shi Jung Lee, who's also known as the Bat Lady. If you read the papers that were published under this grant, you can, you can actually see in the funding portion that it says NIAID grant number, you know, R008, blah, 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 went to Peter Doshak and Shi Jung Lee you know, caught red-handed right there, you can see that the money went to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So that was Fauci's first lie, denying that there was any relation there. But then when you actually start looking into the research that they were conducted, or that they were conducting, you can see that it wasn't just run-of-the-mill, let's go tag bats and look where bats live and track their movements. No, it was specifically finding strains of coronaviruses that were capable for, quote, direct human infection. That was how they summarized the work. That webpage has now been taken down. Other webpages detail the work as trying to find strains of bat coronaviruses that were capable of causing epidemics. Uh, That webpage has similarly been taken down. Um, So when you actually look at the research they were doing, um, it's very clear they were trying to find bat coronavirus strains that they could toy with um, to create deadlier viruses. And even if you don't take my word for it, You've seen it in emails that have been released through Freedom of Information Act and even a statement that was ultimately published by the National Institutes of Health um, after Francis Collins, the former director, resigned, um, that they admitted that gain-of-function research happened. And now their kind of play is, oh, but it wasn't the bad kind of -of gain-of-function research. It was the good kind of -of gain-of-function research. So they're always moving the goalposts Mm -hmm. um, on what exactly was happening in Wuhan. Um, but again, the, the evidence, either through the studies or deleted web pages, shows you um, that they were conducting this research with funds from Anthony Fauci, and we'd even unearthed, you know, audio from a podcast where some of the co-authors on this paper, who were listed, um, actually described the NIH as being quote very, very supportive of their work. And if you listen to the rest of the podcast, you'll be left probably with goosebumps because they describe creating these, you know, chimeric viruses that could infect the maximum amount of, you know, really, yep. really scary stuff yep. if it were being conducted in the U.S., let alone in China.
2: Yep. No, a hundred percent. I mean, and your reporting on this has just been fantastic at the nationalpulse.com. You know, a lot of people forget, but we are here to remind them, Natalie, that scientists told Fauci that the virus looked engineered. Now, uh, you and I both assume that he knew that it was engineered because he helped to develop it and fund the development of it. But these scientists said to him very early on, hey, look, you know, this this coronavirus looks engineered. It looks man-made. And, of course, he covered up the lab leak theory and then proceeded to smear and crush any of these scientists who raised legitimate questions. He was out there destroying people's careers all day, every day. Then he went out and he lied about masks he stopped uh, known therapeutics that could have mitigated a lot of these symptoms and perhaps prevented a lot of hospitalizations and ultimately deaths. He lied about the safety and efficacy of these shots. I mean, the man was the, the um, he was really the, the circus master of this entire pandemic response, which was all based on lies, was it not?
1: Exactly. For, for a public health official... There didn't seem to be much consideration for public health. Um, He really should be described as, I would say, a a lobbyist for for big pharma uh, or the Democratic Party in terms of how lockdowns were used to justify the use of mail-in ballots. You know, when you look at his record on a lot of viruses and diseases too, like AIDS, you really see a, a checkered past. This narrative that he's some, you know, glorified angelic public servant who has no skeletons in the closet, literally or figuratively, um, is just false. And I think we've seen this as time progresses and and more studies come out about how lockdowns weren't effective, about how mask mandates weren't effective, um, about how really any of the, the procedures and policies and approaches that Anthony Fauci favored were actually not the way to go. And you especially see this with the data about the efficacy of vaccines coming out. Um, which I would say, you know, COVID-19 vaccines were Anthony Fauci's baby and brainchild, and that he was probably their staunchest advocate, yet in reality, the the benefits don't really seem to be there. And I think, you know, you can get into the minutiae of all the ways he was wrong, but I think it's just about the the bigger picture. Um, You know, no one knew if lockdowns were necessarily effective. It was actually October of 2019. Um, right before COVID happened, that the WHO put out a white paper saying that lockdowns actually weren't effective. They actually weren't the optimal strategy to curtail pandemics. But something happened with COVID where all of these public health officials and authorities acted like they knew exactly what was happening. They pushed lockdowns, they pushed uh, mask mandates, all of these policies that the science wasn't necessarily proven, right? Despite saying, trust the experts and mm-hmm. the science is settled. It wasn't. So it's just curious to me at the end of the day why you saw all these people not admitting um, that there was any chance that they could have been wrong, but uh, acting as complete and total voices of authority um, on these issues when they weren't necessarily, you need to, to remember it, Yeah,
2: uh, Absolutely. There can be no forgetting about any of this. And it was all about power and control. It was not about the virus. It was not about, which had a 99.9% survival rate. It wasn't about these experimental shots. It was about power and control and conditioning the American people to think that their freedom was selfish. That's the much bigger picture. And of course, selling out to the CCP, which you've been on top of. Natalie, um, we just have a couple of minutes left with you to Talk to us a little bit about Dr. Fauci's wife. Uh, Who is she? What has her role been in all of this? Uh, You reported that there were some fresh emails, which you've exposed, showing that Fauci and his wife blew off concerns about the safety of these experimental shots, including vaccine deaths. And that data that was coming to them, they just disregarded it. And they were instead obsessed with enshrining Fauci as the pandemic hero. Talk to
1: us about that. Yeah, this is probably one of the most, I would say, underreported, really unreported, frankly, stories, probably the last two or three years throughout COVID-19. So his wife serves as the bioethics chief at the NIH Clinical Center, which is a a non-trivial role Um, She's someone who has conducted a lot of research with grants from the NIH, millions of dollars, but I'm sure there's no conflict of interest there given who her husband is. Um, But What's really interesting is that a lot of this research is actually related to COVID-19, particularly she's advocated for vaccine trials for children for COVID-19 vaccines and boosters and even wrote a paper justifying ethically um, that employers and businesses should be able to pressure their employees into getting COVID-19 vaccines. And even she co-authored a paper with Fauci talking about conducting research trials in third world countries and how it was okay if they had lower healthcare standards than their Western counterparts. Those are stories you'll probably never hear um, in the mainstream media, but this is someone who definitely has an influential voice within the scientific community. And as you were mentioning, uh, those emails that we obtained through the Freedom of Information Act request... I think, really just show you their dynamic. Um, it's, it's worth reading the National Poll story. You can see she forwards him an email about how they created, you know, Anthony Fauci bobbleheads, saying that he'll be immortalized. Um, <laughs> so it just kind of sh- shows you, you know, a public health servant more more focused, I think, and in, in self-aggrandizing. Um, yes. So it's... It's an yes. interesting relationship. Well, then, yeah,
2: you, you know what struck me too? I mean, he never met a an interview request he didn't like, except maybe yours. Yeah. Uh, but it, he's on the <laughs> cover of In Style. And it reminds me of Vladimir Zelensky doing a Vogue magazine shot in the middle of a war. Here we're fighting a pandemic, but Fauci found the time to sit by a pool reclining in repose for Annie Leibovitz or something. I mean, it, these people are just—it's completely out of control. It's—it's it's a very real and sick cult of personality, and Fauci luxuriated in it. Um, let Let me ask you this final question or two for you, Natalie. If the Republicans take control of Congress. And, uh, you know, they have promised investigations into all of this, including Fauci and his conflicts Mm -hmm. of interest. First of all, what do you expect to come out of those investigations? largely, it's a, a lot of your work, I hope that they're going to build, build off of. But are investigations enough? Don't we need prosecutions and jail time, not just for Fauci, but for Dr. Birx and Dr. Volensky and the rest of these public health people who just consistently lied to us? Oh,
1: t- totally. I mean, these people think that they're, they're above the law. And I think the perfect example of that is Peter Doshak, who I had mentioned previously, who runs EcoHealth Alliance, the group that was receiving um, taxpayer funds from Anthony Fauci. He's been subpoenaed repeatedly um, by House Republicans, and he's never complied with any of the requests, giving over any of the relevant or pertinent documents to the type of research that they were conducting in Wuhan. So I think what's going to change, ideally, um, when, not if, Republicans win the midterms and take back control um, is that you're gonna see these subpoenas actually be enforced and these people, you know, no longer be able to get away with it. It also so happens that that Peter Dawsuk is a Democrat donor many times over um, to Joe Biden and other Democratic candidates. Fun fact, so is Anthony Fauci's wife. Um but these people get away with it because they're they're part of the ruling class, right? They're part of the establishment. Yes. Um, so their buddies aren't gonna wrap them out. But I think a lot of the candidates that we're seeing now. Um, are not a part of the establishment. They're anti-establishment in the truest sense. And I think that's what you need in D.C. to take down these people like Peter Doshak. But you're totally right. I think people shouldn't just be focusing on, you know, commissions and investigations. Um, It's about prosecuting, too. And obviously, uh you know, cart before the horse. But I think that's the ultimate end goal. And I think with the right people, it is possible, but we just need to be very diligent in, in deciding who the right people are.
2: Absolutely. I mean, if we are going to have any hope of seeing accountability for Fauci and Burks and Walensky, who are basically out there now just admitting. That they manipulated data and that they lied and all of these things. Burks puts it in her book, CDC, last week. Oh, whoopsie daisy. No, they didn't make mistakes. These were not blunders. These were intentional acts by these people in what I think is one of the greatest crimes against humanity in the history of the world, certainly recent history. And there has to be accountability. You know, Senator Rand Paul, who's a medical doctor, he has been terrific in confronting Fauci with all of this, but he's only one. Guy. So you're exactly right. He needs backup. We need our team on the field pursuing all of this. And like I said, Natalie, I hope that a lot of these Republicans, when they go after him starting in January, that they will use a lot of your reporting and. Exposure of this corruption as a jumping-off point to really dig deep and hold this man and the others accountable. So, three cheers for Natalie Winters and her intrepid <laughs> reporting over at the National Pulse. Again, the website is thenationalpulse.com, and again, they are doing the deep dives that the propaganda press will not do. So, please support the National Pulse, however you can. Go read them, but also they they work off of donations and contributions. So whatever you can do to support this kind of work, uh, please do. You know, you guys are always emailing me and saying, how do we do this? You know, give us solutions. Here is a solution. The National Pulse is on the front lines of exposing the ruling class and all of their corruption and their lies. So please go there, read all of their work and support them however you can. Natalie Winters, intrepid investigative reporter and my good friend, Thank you so much for joining me here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. You got it.
2: Okay, time now for our Friday email bag. podcast at gmail.com is the email address if you want to send me a note. Patrick writes, Monica, excellent dialogue between you and Laura Ingram. This is the interview that we rolled on Wednesday. He writes, please do more of this. It's very educational as you both seem to have a good synergy that promotes uncommon insights and in-depth information. Laura seems to be more candid with you than she is on her own show. Both of you have a great conservative knowledge base and are good at explaining goals and issues that make sense and that we don't normally hear. Thank you. Well, thanks so much, Patrick. Very nice of you. Laura is a longtime friend, so we do have a good rhythm uh, when we talk about the big issues, whether it's here on my podcast or on our Fox News show or elsewhere. So we really do have a great rapport. And we both work to break down complex issues in ways that everybody can understand and then mobilize people to action. So thank you for seeing value in what we do, Patrick, and I'm thrilled that you're enjoying this podcast as well. Okay, that's a wrap for me here on another week on the Monica Crowley podcast. Thank you for joining me and thank you for supporting all of our great sponsors here on the show. Have a fantastic weekend and I'll see you right back here on Monday with a blockbuster interview with Paul Manafort. Not to be missed. See you then.